this is for Jay Bean. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Um, today's reading is from Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to chapter 8, verse 1. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Just before um, uh, I pray and we get stuck into the word, two things. Firstly, Jarwin, no one's ever looked better up here. (laughs) That was magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Uh, Secondly, it was announced during the week um, that the Board of Nominations has appointed Joel Abraham as the next vicar of St. Stephen's. We didn't really mention this through the Christmas services because that's entirely appropriate. The focus needs to be on Jesus, the one who came. But I just wanted to say uh, publicly in the last chance I'll get to just how delighted personally I am with your appointment, Joel. I've been so impressed by Joel and Lilia's uh, wonderful, humble, faithful service this year. Uh, Here's a couple that loves the Lord, who quietly get round people. Their pastoral care of people, uh, their preaching, their faithful service has been a joy. And so I'm delighted to see what the Lord will continue to do here at St. Stephen's in the coming years through Joel, you and Lilia and your ministry, and the ministry of the whole church family. So it's been great news. But, Joel, you don't look anywhere near as good as Jarwin today, so... (laughs) Did someone say, oh? (laughs) You think I was being mean? Jarwin looks that good. No one here can deny that. Let me pray, and we're going to get into uh, the word that, as well as Jarwin showing his true colours, he also gave us the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this uh, occasion of St. Stephen's Day. What a fitting occasion for the opportunity to open your word and to come face to face with one of your servants... Uh, Stephen. And I pray that now as we we spend just a few moments really looking at him, and uh, not just him, but particularly uh, what motivated him, what his passion in life was, and especially the way he died, I pray that you might use this to speak to us individually and as a church family. Father, uh, in a world that so desperately needs Jesus, we see one of those who took up their cross to follow Jesus. And I pray that you would use this time to inspire us, to strengthen us, to challenge us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Joel has already mentioned, and as I just prayed, it's a very fitting occasion today. It's December 26th, which is Boxing Day, and in the church calendar, Boxing Day is St. Stephen's Day. And we don't often get to celebrate it, because a Sunday and Boxing Day doesn't often happen. In fact, over my whole tenure here, uh, there's only been one other occasion where Boxing Day and St. Stephen's Day were the same thing, and I was away. It was the one time I went on holiday immediately after Christmas, and I think I think Jeff Robson was leading... Is Jeff here? No. I think Jeff was leading it. In fact, I think it was the Boxing Day aftershock. Some of you will remember. Some of you may well have been in the church that morning. I was happily on my way to a holiday, so I wasn't there. So this is my only time where I've been here for Boxing Day 
for St. Stephen's Day. And, um, and because it's my last Sunday as uh, vicar, my last Sunday with the privilege of preaching the word as the vicar of St. Stephen's, it's great. I don't have to choose what to preach. I remember I had to pre- choose what to preach the first sermon I preached at St. Stephen's. I don't really today because there's nothing more fitting than looking at Stephen on St. Stephen's Day and being reminder of the, reminded of this wonderful follower of Jesus. This is the man that our church family is named after. And we named the church. Often when you're part of a church, you come in and you just have the name that was assigned to you. But we had this rare privilege of actually choosing our name once we'd disaffiliated. And we had every option open to us, and we intentionally chose St. Stephen. And I'm sure that some of that was to show that there was continuity in things, but I hope we can see after this morning there's more to it than that because being named after this particular servant of God is a wonderful privilege. So let me uh, say a couple of things about Stephen. If you're looking for Stephen in the scriptures, you'll find him primarily in the book of Acts in chapter 6, 7, and the beginning of chapter 8. In chapter 6, verse 5, Stephen is described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be a great description for someone to give you? A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In chapter 6, verse 8, he's described as a man full of God's grace and power. He was a well-known Christian uh, in Jerusalem, but it seems that he was so well-known, he became the focus of a number of people that wanted to persecute the Christians. They would quite often, we're told, try to argue with Stephen publicly, but they couldn't match the wisdom of Stephen. Chapter 6, verse 9, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. That's that's what this man was like. As you and I know, there's few things more frustrating than constantly losing an argument to someone. And they kept losing an argument to Stephen. And it clearly wound them up because they did not respond well. What they decided to do was to persuade some people to make up charges against Stephen that had some truth but were really embellished and falsified, and he was brought before the Sanhedrin, brought before the court on these trumped-up charges. And in chapter 6, verse 13, it says, they produced false witnesses who testified this fellow, Stephen, this fellow Stephen never stopped speaking against this holy place, that's the temple, and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So do you see what they're saying? They're saying that for this guy, Stephen, Jesus is number one. Before the temple, before Moses and the Old Testament law, Stephen seems to think that Jesus is more important, more significant than anything else. And can you see there, there was some truth to that. Stephen absolutely would have said Jesus is number one, but that wasn't against the temple. It wasn't against the the, the word of God or the law of God. Jesus was the one who fulfilled these things. And then in response to those charges brought against Stephen, Stephen gives this speech in chapter 7. Uh, it's the, the speech happens just before we picked up in the, um, uh, the passage that Jarwin read to us. It's a very important speech. I wish we were looking at it this morning. It's the longest speech in the book of Acts. And that's incredible because the book of Acts is very long and the, the two primary uh, human protagonists of the book of Acts are Paul and Peter. Clearly, this speech by Stephen is way longer than any speech by Peter or Paul. That's very surprising. And in the, um, I won't go through the whole speech or anything, but spoiler alert, what he says is, Jesus is number one, and I will not deny Jesus. 
That's what he says in the speech. And then in chapter 7, verse 54, where Jarwin started reading from, we pick up the story as the Sanhedrin responds to the speech that Stephen has just given. False, trumped-up accusations against him. He gives the speech defending himself, but basically saying, I will not deny Jesus. And then we pick the story up as they respond to Stephen doing this. And you can see what happens in chapter 7, verse 54. They became enraged and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen, showing their anger. That's how you show your anger. Gnash your teeth. But then... But don't, I, I shouldn't really crack a joke there because this is a terrible situation that Stephen finds himself in. This is life-threatening. And he knows it. He knows what's going to happen here. But in the midst of this awful situation, God does a wonderful thing in his generosity and kindness to Stephen. He graciously grants Stephen the one thing that would have encouraged his heart more than any other. He's given a vision into the heavens. Stephen gets this rare glimpse into the heavens at his worst possible time. We're told, verse 55, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen then tells the Sanhedrin, all these people have accused him and are standing in judgment before him, uh, standing judging him, <coughs> he tells them what he sees in verse 56. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, there's a wonderful detail there that I think is, is easily missed, but it's very poignant. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But why is that important? Because Hebrews gives a picture of Jesus when it speaks about him as our great high priest, and it's very specific that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And that's for a reason. It's because the priest only sat down when he'd completed his task on behalf of the people of God. And so what Hebrews is teaching us and telling us as the people of God is, Jesus, as your high priest, has done everything that you ever need on your behalf with your relationship with God. And now he sits at the right hand. But in this vision to Stephen, he's standing. He's standing to greet his faithful servant. That's what he's doing. As Stephen faces his death, as he faces lies being told about himself and hostility from his countrymen, as he stands true to his faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus stands for him. He's granted this vision of his saviour, the one that he won't deviate from. And that that vision shows his saviour standing to acknowledge and receive him. It's a wonderful moment, a beautiful moment. But... Uh, although this would have been a wonderful moment for Stephen personally, for the crowd around him, this is the last straw. They're convinced that Stephen is blaspheming. Remember, blaspheming is speaking things against God and against his glory, and you can see that because in verse 57 what they do is they cover their ears. That's what you did when you heard people blaspheming. I don't want to hear these things, these untruths being said about God. And then they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. We're told then in verse 58 that the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here's the introduction of Saul, who will soon become known as Paul, uh, who will become the central human character of the book. But here he's still Saul. He's one of the people persecuting Stephen, persecuting Jesus and the church, aimed at trying to destroy the Christian faith. Then we're told of two more things that Stephen said while he's being stoned, while he's being treated in this way. In verse 59, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He'd just seen that wonderful vision. Now he calls out to his saviour. 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then in verse 60, he falls to his knees and he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Isn't that an incredible moment? Uh, I hope those two phrases, those two sentiments of Stephen are familiar for you because they are very similar to words that our Lord Jesus Christ himself said as he had people lie about him and put him to death. Remember he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The only change here is that where Jesus committed his spirit to his father and asked that God forgive the sins of the killers, Stephen asks Jesus to receive his spirit and Jesus to forgive those who are killing him because he knew without a shadow of a doubt that his saviour was God the Son. Jesus, for, for Stephen, was everything. And that is undoubtedly the key, not just to this passage, but to Stephen. Stephen's trust and faith is in Jesus Stephen only speaks three times in these few verses, but each time it's either about or to Jesus. Stephen is being put to death for one reason and one reason only, his devotion to Jesus. For Stephen, Jesus was Lord and Saviour above every other authority, more important than any other person in life, first and foremost in everything. For Stephen, Jesus was the one to follow the one to obey, the one to thank, the one to proclaim, the one to share. And Stephen wouldn't deny him no matter what cost he had to face. And when he was facing that cost and having to pay that cost, he cried out to the very one that he followed. Jesus had told his disciples that they would need to take up their cross and follow him. And Stephen is clearly putting that into practice here. He, like Jesus, is being put to death on trumped-up charges And he responds in a similar way, praying to the very one who'd walked that road first. A couple of things just to notice before I take the main kind of thing that I'd like to point out this morning. Uh, Stephen knew that he was about to die and he called out to the one he knew he could trust with his death. There'll be a number of people that we trust in life. Very hard to know who to trust in death with your death. Stephen knew where to turn and he cried out to Jesus in the moment of his death. Friends, if you want to know with certainty what will happen when you die, or if you are facing death at the moment, please know what you have in Jesus, the one you can trust with your death, and be at peace with that. Death is real. It's real for every single one of us. But the the truth of Stephen here is the the wonderful truth for every follower of Jesus. You can call out to Jesus and trust him with your death and he will never let you down or let you go. He's your friend, your saviour, your shepherd, your substitute and you're in good hands if you're in the hands of Jesus Christ. Well then Stephen himself dies, put to death for his faith in Jesus. And here's another little thing to notice. it's a reminder that Christians don't always finish life well physically. Stephen's prayer wasn't answered by a miraculous rescue. His prayer wasn't answered by his life being spared. Our prayers don't always lead to physical healing or to rescue in those sorts of ways. But we don't just see Stephen die. We also see a reminder that God works his purposes and plans out in all things, even the terrible things of this world. 
because our passage finishes with a small aside telling us that Saul, remember who we'd met before, approved of Stephen's death. And I think that's a lovely little detail. It's not lovely in terms of what Saul was thinking and feeling at that moment, but what happens with Saul? Saul here is clearly approving of them killing Stephen. But that just means that we know that for Saul at least, Stephen's prayer for forgiveness worked. Because this Saul had his life changed around when he met Jesus and he received the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. And so Stephen's last words when he prays for forgiveness for those who are doing this to him was clearly answered in in Saul, in Paul. Uh, It's a wonderful thing and it's a reminder that God is still at work even when our prayers aren't answered as perhaps we would want them to be. Well, as we draw to a close this morning, I want to encourage you and I to follow in the footsteps of Stephen as he followed in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Stephen did, which is such an example to us and witness to us, is he put Jesus before anything else in his life. I really feel like we need to hear this more than ever at the moment. Life is getting harder for Christians in New Zealand uh, in this particular place at this particular time in history. We are, as Christians, I think, more and more out of step with the society around us. We have different standards and values and priorities. And I, I, and I, I hope that as Christians we still see that the, the world's standards and values and priorities are not bringing them more happiness, it's not bringing them more security. I wish it was. I I want that for them, but they won't find it anywhere else than Jesus. But we are more and more out of step with the society around us. And therefore, when you're more out of step, you're more up for ridicule and persecution and all those sorts of things, which is precisely what Stephen was facing. But he turned to Jesus, and he wouldn't deviate from Jesus. The example of Stephen is put Jesus first. We're tempted in life to put everything else first. We try and look good in front of others. We try and make money. We try and secure the future we think we want. We try and pursue having a relationship with someone. Put Jesus first. And then let our relationship with Jesus influence all those other things. None of those other things are wrong in and of themselves, but put them in the wrong order and the whole deck of cards falls down. Put Jesus first and then let your relationship with him dictate and dominate how we do the others. It's all better. Put Jesus first. In church life, following Jesus comes before following institutions. In culture, uh, culture always affects us. And there's some good parts to culture and some bad parts to culture. Following Jesus helps us navigate culture. following Jesus comes before following governments. To truly follow Jesus is what we're called to do as his people. And we're we're called to do that zealously in the scriptures. That's what Stephen did. It's not just to be an hour and a quarter on a Sunday. We're called to be eager and passionate and keen, always in all of life, full of truth and grace, like the one who came full of truth and grace. Knowing Jesus, obeying Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, thanking Jesus. That's our joy, our privilege, and it's to be our life's central part. Following him should shape the way you and I live, the way we work, the way we play sport, the way we raise children, 
the relationships we pursue or pull back from, the way we spend money, the way we deal with our leisure time, the conversations we take part in or pull back from, the, the, everything should be affected by following Jesus, first and foremost. We're to live for him. Not just our own personal preference or standards, not just the way the culture tells us or other groups or, or the church institution. We live for Jesus first. Many churches have struggled over the last few years in Christchurch, and can you blame them? If you think of what Christchurch has been through in the last few years. They've faced earthquakes, terrorist attacks, COVID. The churches that have stood the strongest are the ones who know that church is not primarily about a building, not primarily about a specific service or a particular tradition. The churches that have stood and not just survived but thrived through these difficult days have been the churches that know that it's about Jesus and that once it's about Jesus, you adapt to the circumstances. It's about us following him, living for him, proclaiming him, sharing him, praising him, having a personal relationship with him. It's about Jesus. I remember my first sermon at St. Stephen's. As I said before, I had to choose it. And you're kind of going, well, I don't know what to choose. And uh, I chose Mark chapter 4, I chose the calming of the storm. And I chose it for a particular reason. Wasn't so. I could have chosen lots of different passages on the same theme. I wanted the, the theme of the Lordship of Christ, that Jesus is our King, that Jesus is our Lord. I love it that I didn't have to choose what I was going to preach on with my last one at St. Stephen's. It's how we follow our King. It's how we follow Jesus, our Lord. And it's a privilege to do so. Stephen is a wonderful example in the book of Acts. It's a privilege, I think, for our church to be named after him. He would not deny the one he knew he could trust his death with. He would not deny the one he knew stood at the Father's side to receive him and welcome him. He could not deny the one he knew was the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, the one who'd made him part of God's family and assured him of his future. He put the Lord Jesus before anything and everything else. And I pray that you and I will continue to do the same. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to think on Stephen, and not just because it's a, a good chance to look at Stephen, but because of what Stephen did. He followed the Lord Jesus Christ before anything else. And I pray that you would continue to strengthen us so that we as individuals and as a church called St. Stephen's, that we too would do the same. Because he is our friend, he is our king, he is our saviour. He's the one who's made us your sons and daughters and brothers and sisters with him, co-heirs of the kingdom. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to follow him. And we pray that you would encourage us and um, enable us to do it all the more for the rest of our days. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.